0: Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, my friend and colleague, Kosti Hinn. Kosti is Executive Pastor of Discipleship at Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert, Arizona. As I said, he's a dear friend and he's a faithful voice in our movement. Not long ago, Costi uh, made some statements, did some videos, said some things on social media that helped a ton of people, but they did so by drawing some lines, some surprising lines. In particular, Costi, coming from the prosperity gospel world by way of background, not anymore, but by way of, of upbringing, encouraged evangelicals, he did so in a gracious But convictional way to think hard about singing uh, music from groups like Bethel, Hillsong, Jesus Culture, Elevation, associated with Stephen Furtick, and some others. And a lot of people responded. A lot of people were thankful uh, for some clear words along these lines because there often isn't a lot of discussion in evangelical circles about what music to sing. Even groups that we disagree with can we sing their music? And there is room. Uh, for some difference of opinion on some gray area issues, but costy. Uh without getting into the issue and litigating it here in my intro comments, what prompted you to take the gracious but convictional stand that you took on this subject of music?
1: Uh, we made it theological, and that would be the, the key line that I would draw right off the bat. Uh, we made it theological and a, a, gospel issue, not any other type of issue. I know that there are people who, uh, have problems and have had problems with the repetitiveness of the music. You know, the, the old Baptist joke, you know, it's seven eleven worship, you know, the same seven words on 11 <laughs> times, uh, over and over, you know, I, I wouldn't even go there. I mean, I'm, I'm a millennial. I don't mind my music being a little repetitive. I don't mind my music being a little loud, uh. But I do mind my music being uh, doctrinally deficient or in error or uh, propagating false teachings. So there's that. Um, I wouldn't even make it, again, methodological about lights and production or fog machines. And I know that there are some great guys out there who, who can preach sermons against the, the methods that are being used. And, um, but that's not even our length. Um, we're not really worried about the methods. Because whether you got a fog machine or not, if you're singing about the real Jesus in a passionate, authentic way, um, I don't think the Lord's really worried about whether or not you're using, you know, uh, special lights or 4K cameras or what. I think the heart, uh, the theology of worship, is more important than methodology, in the sense of what you know what isn't isn't prescribed in Scripture. So there's that. But so ours, theologically speaking was this. Uh, number one, I came out of that movement, so I know it very well. So initially, I know that there's some problems. For example, they preach and live the prosperity gospel. Now, hmm. a lot of these teachers are starting to say things like, man, I don't teach prosperity. Like, God blesses, he blesses. We just want to preach Jesus. And and they, they're really good at, at mitigating and spinning the PR or talking out of the sides of their mouth. And so what's important to know is, okay, if you don't believe in the prosperity gospel, why do you teach people then that if they have enough faith or if they give to God, He is going to bless them? That His will is never uh, sickness, His will is never poverty. Um, they teach these things. These are things that Bethel, Bill Johnson, many others would teach, and so um, there's a problem there. The other thing would be um, the the Christological issue and that I would even put front and center. So let's say yes. we got the prosperity gospel as an issue being taught, being propagated and then the Christology issue. Now, there are many people around these movements now that are starting to make it clear they do not teach or believe this. I greatly respect that. I've spoken with some of them. I think there's some teachers in process, there's some guys really assessing what they've taught and why. Mm-hmm. They just repeated a lot of what they heard and let me be real honest with you too and candid. Um, I've spoken with my own father before about these issues and and because he doesn't have a theological degree or any type of formal training. And I've said, why did you teach this particular thing? Or why did you teach that? And he's told me before, uh, Kosti, I I would watch a, an Oral Roberts teaching or read a book, or I would listen to uh, Kenneth Hagen and his tapes or Kenneth Copeland, who's about 30 years older than my dad. And it sounded awesome, and I, I would use that on Sundays, and it that it worked. And so um, my dad wasn't familiar with the term at the time, but I, I said, well, it, it's a form of pragmatism, really. Like this works. Yes. This gets people pumped. This gets them to give. Therefore, it must be good. It must be right. So uh, – but what Bethel teaches, like I said, a lot of people have repeated this and walked it back. Some have abandoned it altogether, but, um, Bill Johnson in his book, when heaven invades earth, uh, on both page 29 and 79, he says that Jesus did his miracles as a man in right relationship to God. And then there's an ellipsis. He says, not as God, if he did them as God, they would be unattainable for us. And so this is their ministry MO. Jesus did his miracles as just a man. He came to earth to show us that we could do it all too. And so. Um, we'll show you how. And then they charge tuition. They have the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. They charge young people tuition to come and learn how to be prophets, apostles, healers, miracle workers, uh, discerners. They, they've, they've got into other um, avenues that have been controversial, like like the grave sucking or grave soaking, where you go and you lay on a grave. Um, And you get the mantle of like William Branham or Smith Wigglesworth or some of these historical heroes that they have. Mm -hmm. And so that's been controversial. They'll walk that back. It's like every time there's something that hits the news, um, they have really Mm -hmm. good PR people who come in and say, hey, listen, we can't control what all of our followers do and believe. um, But we do want to encourage them to live. On the edge and live by faith, and if that gets them in trouble, so be it. It got Jesus in trouble too. You know, they'll say stuff like that, and you think, okay. Um, and then there's other major concerns uh, that I would have. Even personally, I get emails every month from parents and families who have lost their young people to the movement through the music. And Bill Johnson has made it clear that the music is the gateway to their theology and their ministry. They wow. use the music to draw young people in, and he, he's made that clear. And so the concern that I have is when a parent calls me and I have to go meet with them or talk with them over Zoom or Skype because they live in another state. And their daughter or son is hearing voices, seeing demons, wrestling with crazy things that you, you would never even imagine. You just think, what? And now they're back home. And they don't know what to do. And they went to Bethel normal. They came back, and now their you know, eyes are rolling in the back of their head and they're foaming at the mouth in the living room all the time, oh chanting weird things. There's a problem there. And so um, now I know in, in conservative circles, we, we don't really go there a lot with spiritual warfare. And some people, you know, are either whether they're cessationists or they say, hey, I, I, I believe that some of these miraculous gifts are more non normative. You know, we're not going to see this all the time today. Um, and, and all that's well and good if, if, you know, like Thomas Schreiner has written an amazing book called Spiritual Gifts. I think we've all read it. He's very charitable, has an Irenic spirit, just, just amazing, amazing approach to tongues and the gifts. And even if you would disagree, you'd say, hey, if it's going to be the real gift, um, this is what the Bible says they are. So let's just say that that topic sometimes overshadows the supernatural in the sense of spiritual warfare. And sometimes, as conservatives, we lump in with maybe a cessationist position, also the demonic activity that is happening in our world. And so we tend to overlook this or dismiss it with rationalism. And I'm telling you, brother, as a conservative, as a guy who does not believe that, you know, there are apostles still and guys are running around healing anyone at will. As a guy who's fairly conservative in my approach to the gifts, I am with, uh, with guys like Grudem who in his systematic theology give us a good picture of demonization and of challenges with the demonic that are happening that are real in spiritual warfare. And I'm seeing this literally in families and young people who are coming out of Bethel. They're leaving or being pulled out by family. And so um, I've got a sister, unfortunately, who graduated from there uh, in their prophetess program. I mean, I've got family caught up in this. And so I'm not sitting in an ivory tower uh, mad about 7-Eleven music or or mad about fog machines. It's theological and yes. Christology at the center. And so lastly, page 79 of Bill Johnson's book, he says that Jesus laid aside his divinity. Mm. Um, now, we're not talking about what uh, Stephen J. Wellum calls functional canonic Christology, where there seems to be some nuance Um, where Jesus is self-limiting and his omniscience. Remember, he says it's only for the Father to know certain things and and all that. Not talking about veiling his glory. Um, Johnson takes the ontological, canonic, Christological position, which is to say that Jesus laid his divinity aside. He he ceased to be God in that sense. And he'll say things like, well, he was eternally God still. I mean, he's going to go back to heaven to be God again. But in his humanity here— he did all that. And that's a model for us. And that's where we get into trouble. Because yes. if he was just a man doing all that, and I can do it too, well, Owen, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you raising the dead right now? Yes. Owen, what's wrong with you? Why, why aren't you able to see in the Spirit uh, words of knowledge immediately? Oh, you must not be an apostle. Well, don't worry, because I am. Mm-hmm. And and so you're just a pastor. And I've been told that before in these conversations. One family member who believes he's an apostle said, look, I agree with your concerns, mean, we We're actually talking about uh, what the Bible says about touching up the Lord's anointed and calling certain things out. And he agreed with, with what I was saying. He said, the problem is this. It's out of your jurisdiction as a pastor. You don't understand the deeper things of this realm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, this is apostolic. I'm an apostle. I deal with this. You're just a pastor. And so the reason you can't do these things is because you're pastoral. I can do these things. I'm apostolic. And so now we're into class systems based on this theology, based on this Christology, um, rather than seeing that there is um, no grounds from Philippians 2. In the, the humbling of Christ coming and taking on flesh, there's no grounds there to say that He suddenly just became man and stopped being God altogether.
0: Yeah, that's that's um, a that's, that's a that's a, excuse me, that's a tremendously uh, significant formulation theologically, as you're bringing out, that leaves you with and that that leaves you with a less than biblical Jesus, a Jesus who who was divine, eternal Son of God. But then, who is effectively not divine for for his human existence? That is almost certain. That is surely heterodox and 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 very likely heretical. In other words, gospel canceling as a formulation. Um, That that is we are we are not dealing with niceties here, theologically. We're dealing with centrality and uh, and I love that you're bringing that out. There are many different places we can go uh, that you've already touched on, and I'm thankful you have. In our brief time together, I do wanna go back to what you were talking about earlier. You said that that young evangelical men and women are getting drawn off, and it's in part because of this music. It's actually because of this music. I, I would like to talk with you in, in our few minutes remaining about that, okay? Because here, here's one line that both you and I hear uh, when we articulate the stance that you have articulated thus far. We hear some version of, well, we want to sing a, a wide range of voices in our church. I even hear good Reformed guys, for example, saying, you know, we don't want to be isolated in our little corner of the evangelical world. We want to sing a range of of music from a range of voices uh we don't want to isolate ourselves so i think there can be a good motive here i actually do want uh worship leaders so-called pastors who lead uh worship to to have a diverse array of uh, of the church featured in their in their uh leading of congregational worship but here's the thing what we are hearing is that when uh groups like hillsong Bethel are sung, let's say, or when young people get a hold of this music, you know, through Spotify or YouTube or whatever it is, they don't often, at least in a good number of cases, stop with the music. They go on and they start checking out the movement and they research the key figures involved and they look up. Uh, The Bethel School that you mentioned, or they check out the latest Hillsong Congregation, and maybe they visit it when they go to that city. And a good number of evangelical uh, youth, young men and women, are getting pulled away into this unsound movement, this unsound teaching. Do you think that's accurate?
1: Absolutely. I would give you—let me give you Four bullet point reasons, not even with explanations. These will stand on their own. Four bullet point reasons why, besides what we've just talked about theologically, yes. why we're saying is absolutely true. Um, we we don't need to say, oh, we need to sing a wide array of music and mitigate. These people don't need to be mitigated in their error. They need to be rescued from it. Rescued from it with the truth. And so we need to stop looking at them as. Um, You know, diversity and start looking at them as deceptive and go, we need to reach these people, not join them, um, not sing what they're putting out. Another thing, um, we need to make sure that church money isn't paying them royalties to fund their uh, heterodox teaching and to fund what they're doing to our young people. And that's another issue that a lot of churches say, well, I'm going to pick the songs that aren't heretical or aren't dangerous. And you think, um, there's verses or passages in the Book of Mormon that would be in line with what the Bible teaches. You don't accept those from from the, the Book of Mormon. You would right. be wise to think even a broken clock is right twice a day. So we don't want to still fund them and send them directly um, their money. A lot of people will harp on, you know, Furtick and Elevation, and they'll hammer them theologically, but they sing Elevation worship. So they're sending Furtick money and their movement money but they're, they're, they're liking, they're getting their hits and likes on Twitter by attacking him. I I don't understand that. And then another one here, oh, and with young people, you're limiting the creativity of your own church. And I don't need to lean on Bethel. I want to raise up the next generation of passionate worshipers in my church. I want to, I want to speak to the potential of the songwriters in my congregation. I, I don't need to look out I want to look inside and disciple the next generation. And that's a huge thing is we're outsourcing so much that we are sitting on a goldmine of gifts and talent that God has given local congregations. Raise them up. Focus on developing leaders. Um, Do that in your own congregation. And then I think people need issue on this clarity on this issue more than ever before. We are in a time of uh, compromise. We are in a time where the, the lines are very blurry. And more and more in a spirit of charity, we need leaders with conviction who do not want to be a stumbling block, who want to avoid that appearance of evil, who will call out what is false and point to what is true and be responsible in the way that they lead the church. So I'm not saying churches are false or heretical if they sing the music. I'm saying that we're now getting into a day and age in this generation where this is a huge wisdom issue. Yes. And people are leaving churches. Over it, we have people come in droves to our church all the time. They love their church where they're at. They said I'm just I'm sick of singing Bethel. My kids have it on their podcast now their iPods. I just we it it's too dangerous and now they're they're sympathetic to the wake up olive trying to raise the dead. It's just it's too much. It's confusing. We just want clarity. That's all we want. Even if we don't agree with everything theologically, we just want clarity, and I think we need that for this generation. I
0: I think this is a prophetic word. Uh, I think this is a really needed word. Neither you nor I, uh, and and I know you spoke this conviction with uh, your fellow pastors at uh, Redeemer Bible Church, so that's the we you were talking about earlier, releasing content Mm -hmm. online about about these matters. I, I'm I'm joining my voice with yours here, I don't think either one of us is saying, if there's a sound church out there that ever has sung Hillsong, we'll just take them for a minute, uh, we are yeah. effectively pulling their gospel faithfulness card once and for all time. That's not the case you or no. I are making. That's not what you have said, no. and, and that's not nope. what either of us would say. Uh, you, sometimes people will take us the worst way, as if we're saying that. That's not what you've said very clearly. However. However, having noted that, we are definitely issuing a word of caution here, afresh, one that has gone out before through you and a few others, and that I pray now goes out afresh. And uh, there are many different issues we could break down. We've already touched on several of them. But we are simply trying to note this this real problem of, in particular, Younger evangelicals being drawn away by unsound groups who have great music, at least when it hits your, your headphones, it sounds great. Uh, and then that yep. music acts as uh, a gateway drug into a whole broader theological uh, orientation. And that orientation is unsound. And so if we're working from a Second Peter 2 framework, from the book of Second Timothy framework, we have to recognize that false teachers don't don't usually show up at our doors and announce themselves and say that they are teaching false doctrine they are deceptive yep. you said this earlier they are very very clever they scheme according to peter ways that they can trick the sheep we can't always identify who the false teacher is who is masterminding this let that be said and yet we have responsibility to warn the rising generation about these kind of movements. And I believe fathers and mothers and then, yes, pastors, worship pastors, elders, have a responsibility to hear the warning that you're issuing, and others have said as well, and uh, and, and then structure worship with great care of the sheep in mind. You think that's accurate as we wrap Amen. up here?
1: That is spot on, Owen. Um, the last thing I'll just say and recommend is if you're looking to dig deep on the issue, um, two things. One, we wrote a book, uh, a pastor friend of mine and I called Defining Deception on this issue. We're actually releasing a revised and expanded version Good. in the new year in February, and it will have a study guide and and more to it. Um, and then two, if you want to dig deep, I'm talking into more of a, a seminarian Mind, I would pick up God Incarnate uh, about Jesus by Stephen J. Wellem. It's a book that a lot of us get in seminary anyway. It's required reading in systematic theology classes. Um, and then third, if you're at MBTS and you're not taking Owen Strand for systematic theology, you're crazy. So get in his course. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that.
0: <laughs> oh my. No. Dig, dig
1: deeper. Dig deeper into your Christology. Dialogue with your professors. Understand. Um, where the lines are, where there could be some nuance or some differences theologically, and then understand where the Bible's clear, and uh, your professors are clear, and there's just no getting around it, and then put a stake in the ground, shepherd the flock, and lead the next generation.
0: Amen. Great word. So pastors, elders listening to this podcast, um, rising generation, seminarians, think very hard about these things uh we do not all have the same exact worship service out there in the baptist world the reformed world the evangelical world let that be said uh there is room for singing music solid music from an array of voices but we also have this responsibility to recognize that we are shepherding the sheep not just when we preach an expository sermon as we commonly think but we are shepherding the sheep in every dimension of the worship service teaching them how to pray uh, uh, leading them in song uh driving them to worship the living christ and so just as let me let me close with this word just as sound faithful pastors out there would not cite a bill johnson uh or or related voices uh in their sermon notes and quote him from the pulpit at least i sure hope you wouldn't recognize that your music ministry needs to not cite, so to speak, Bill Johnson and Bethel or Hillsong or Elevation or Jesus culture. It has the same effect, in fact, concluding here, I, I think it could even have a stronger effect because of the, the whole person experience of singing, uh, where, where you are lifted up, such that you'll come away uh, singing different songs with this kind of surging passion. And then you'll search out that group uh, that penned that song, that played that music, and as we have said, that can easily be a gateway into unsoundness, and man, even grave spiritual jeopardy. So Kosti Hinn, as as we close here, I'm really thankful for your word. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Owen. Keep it up, man. God bless
0: you. Thanks for listening to City of God a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.